I'm Hiba Elias. And I'm Siobhan Drew. And, and welcome, welcome to Momentum, Momentum, a Race Forward podcast, where we explore how racial justice work is showing up everywhere around us. Hey, Siobhan. Hey, Heba. How are you? I'm okay. How's it going? Happy to still be here another day. Amen. Looking forward to recording with you. Always a pleasure because it's good to hear your voice. Echo and second everything you're saying. It's always a pleasure to get online with you and talk our talk. Um, I don't know if you know, though, Siobhan, episode seven, the Black Lives Matter episode reached 10,000 downloads. So that's a major win for us. And we appreciate everyone that's been on the call, listening in, giving us some reviews, sending us text messages, emails is greatly appreciated. We're happy to know that you all are riding with us on this journey. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, everyone. We appreciate that so much. We hope that Um, racial justice and racial equity and this conversation around systemic racism and how it was embedded in, you know, the foundation of this country's laws and systems and institutions. We hope that, you know, the podcast and all of those downloads continue to happen so that the conversation can become just something that is more common and that we all start taking more action together. So Ooh, that feels good to know. That really feels good. Thank y'all. You know, we're winding down to our our second season where it's summertime outside, Siobhan. The sun is shining. A lot going on in the world. We're still sending good vibrations and hella love to everyone that's listening. What's going on for the summertime, Siobhan? You got me, but I got a summertime question. (laughs) I really don't know what's going on for the summertime because I don't know if y'all thought COVID took a vacation, but I don't think it did. So I know I see some folks, you know, on the timeline and it's like they're at parties and stuff like that. And I'm not even sure if I have FOMO or jealousy because I really don't <laughs> think I do. I really don't think I do because I'm just thinking like, Ooh, Corona probably looking at y'all rubbing, <laughs> you know, the fingers like the bird man hand rub in the corner. Not like, the bird man. Mm-hmm. I'll see you soon. <laughs> no, seriously. Corona is, is I know that I'm, I'm speaking sarcastically, but honestly there have been a lot of losses. So I'm going to get serious. What's happening this summer is that I have some concerns about what I'm seeing and I don't spend time shaming my (laughs) social circle online if I see them socializing. Um, But I do have concerns. I would be lying if I said I didn't. Um, I get this sense that maybe maybe some folks are kind of just tired of this, as many of us are, and are thinking that it's just time to go out and hang out maskless because it has to be time because it's been so long. Um, so everyone's human. So I guess folks are doing what they think is what they need to do for themselves. I hope that we continue to think about how our actions affect each other. Um, since coronavirus was a big reminder that we're all very much linked. I was thinking about the summer in another way, though. I was thinking about this interview that I heard. I think it was the CEO of, I want to say, Robin Hood. Um, his name is Wes Moore. And he was talking about systems change and things like that and poverty. And I think he's also an, an ex combat veteran. So a veteran. And anyway, he spoke about the national guard and he said something that stood out to me. He said, the national guard has only been deployed by an American president 12 times and 10 out of those 12 times that the president that a president of this country has 
called upon the National Guard have been about race. And then he challenged folks to think about whether we want to continue using force or using various options that don't fit the effects of the problem, or do we want to actually get to the root of the problem around this country's foundation of like systemically racist institutions and laws, et cetera. And um, I was like, wow, I didn't, I, I guess I never thought, I never thought about when the National Guard is called out and like looking at it historically to see when it has happened. And as I thought about that, it made me think about the summer, Hibba. And I was like, I wonder if also there's a correlation between the temperature rising, the summertime, and people protesting for their rights and protesting against racial injustice. I wonder if there's a correlation. So I wonder if I take a look, will we see that when the temperature rises, you know, people's tolerance for racial injustice drops? Yeah, that's a very interesting correlation. It is something worth looking into. Um, and if if y'all who are listening, feel free to share some resources with us, right? Like, you know, for us to just educate ourselves as well. Um, so I'm with you, Siobhan. I'm with you on the learning tip. Awesome. Um, I guess summertime also used to be movie time. <laughs> now folks are doing drive-ins and watching movies at home. I wonder about, you know, the summertime blockbuster. Is that going to be a thing of the past? Like, I wish blockbuster would come back. It would. No, I mean, like, I mean, you are so that is funny that you heard blockbuster and you thought about blockbuster video. The actual. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, don't tell me blockbuster. That's the first thing that's going to come to my mind. Okay? I love it. You taking me down memory um... lane. I'm talking about the summer blockbuster where we used to go to the movies and like massive amounts of people in the country would all go to see the same film about some superhero, you know, and we all get to talk about it and, you know, chat for like the next couple of weeks as it rises the charts. And it's just, I guess, some type of cultural thing that would tie us together for a moment in the summer. There is something else that's been, you know, taking place and still allows us to live that experience. We've had the privilege to sit in and have a conversation with some of the authors that are showcasing their books at DC Comics, Siobhan. Yes. But before we even get into that, like, I don't know if you thought about this, but I've been thinking about superheroes that represent Black women. There's not too many of them, right? There's a top 10 list that I came across. And most of them are, like, evil. Oh, there my God, isn't, really? There isn't. Yeah. And it kind of it kind of made me upset. But it, it, I feel like we get into the conversation with our guests that are coming up about um, representation and making sure that we are felt and seen within the comic world. Right. But it was just appalling to me that I'm reading up on these black female superheroes and, you know, some out of the top 10, probably like six of them are evil. Um, so it makes me feel a way. Right. And it makes me think about how we need to do better within even like literature. Right. Making sure that there's representation of positive black women. So it was hard for me to be like, mm, who can I relate to out of this top 10 list? Yeah. And I honestly, I can only pick one. Don't don't play me and say it's like your mom. You added to the top of the list or something as the superhero. <laughs> I was going to I was going to say my grandmother. Right. If I could build a character, it would definitely be my grandmother. But out of this top specific list, this top 10 specific list, I picked um, Philippus and she was um, an Amazon that served as a captain of the Royal Guard as a highest general. 
and she was a trusted advisor. She was also given the task of raising and training young Diana, who is Wonder Woman in her youth. As we all know it, Wonder Woman is a white a female superhero Damn, and it's so ironic replacement right so it was ironic to me that a black woman built up this white superhero to be wonder woman and philippus doesn't even really have a strong representation within the comic world i'm pretty sure not a lot of us know about philippus right but this goes back to our real world scenarios where wow i didn't know there was mammy culture in the comic books but I mean, she sounds like a powerful character for me to take a look into, um, especially in the absence of the summer comic blockbuster related films and all of that. Like none of those were ever with like black women leading anyway. So I guess it sounds exciting to think about what you're talking about, like taking a look and seeing what what are some of the superheroes that did not get all that shine, but that are representative of people of color. And um, I would love to see more of that list. And I'm excited about what's happening at DC Comics. I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, and talk about just race and superheroes and, and all of that. Jean Luen Yang is a writer and cartoonist who has had a lifelong passion for making comics and graphic novels. He's the author of the highly acclaimed award-winning books American Born Chinese and Boxers and Saints. He was appointed the Library of Congress National Ambassador for Young People Literature in 2016 and advocates for reading diversely. He's worked on Dark Horse Comics Avatar, the last Airbender series, and many Superman titles for DC Comics, including Superman Smashes the Clan, which we'll be talking about today. Min Lei is the author of the award-winning children's books Drawn Together, Let Me Finish, and The Perfect Seat as well as Green Lantern Legacy, which introduces Ty Pham, the first Asian-American Green Lantern, having his own alter ego of sorts. Min is also a federal early childhood policy expert who has worked in education both in and out of the classroom. Fun fact, in 2018, he was named by Fatherly as one of the 100 coolest dads in America. I'm not sure who squeezed in the... the um was dad thing but i'm glad they did welcome min and jean thank you both for your time uh, we got off to a little uh rocky start as everyone knows we are still quarantined so we're recording from home but we're gracious enough to have jean and min join us for this special podcast episode so welcome both of you and let's get started siobhan let's let's dig in okay are we going to just have like a comics read along because i'm here for that I know most of our staff are probably geek that we have you all on. We have many comic fans that are a part of our staff. I actually have a few questions in terms of just writing in general. Literature is a very important piece to culture, to history. And I just wanted to know what stemmed or what started, what gave you the passion to actually start writing and what made you transition into writing literature specifically for comics? I'll, I'll, I'll let you go first, Gene. <laughs> Sure, sure. I, I, uh, I, I mean, I bet uh, Min and I have very similar stories. So I'm the, the child of immigrants. Uh, both of my parents were born in Asia. My mom was born in mainland China, my dad in Taiwan. They both came to the United States. And when I was growing up, they would tell me lots of these Chinese folktale stories. And I think they did it because they wanted to maintain that uh, connection between the culture that they left and the culture that they were raising me in. You know, they didn't want to lose all that culture. So from pretty early on, I knew that stories were really important. 
Uh, I also started drawing when I was really young. I started drawing when I was two years old and, and doing comic books, like telling stories as comics just seems like a natural way of combining these two things that I love, combining drawing with stories. Yeah, I, my, my story is very similar. My parents um, and my family is originally from Vietnam, though I was born here. And I always say when we were kids, we'd go to the library and my sisters and I would be those little kids who go to the front, the checkout desk, with like a pile of books taller than we are. So we'd always have books around. But kind of like Jean, when it was bedtime, a lot of times my parents would still just tell us stories from their childhood or stories that they grew up with. And it wasn't until later on I realized that the reason they did that was because those stories weren't available on the bookshelf, right? Like you couldn't take those out at the library. You couldn't find them at the bookstore. So my parents um, were, on one hand, were natural storytellers, but they're also forced into that role because in order to tell the stories they wanted to tell, they, they had to take the initiative themselves. So I think that kind of instilled in me um, that sense of both the power of story and the importance of um, taking the initiative to make sure that the stories that you want to tell are there. So I was always a super shy kid. Um, and like, I think I went like a whole summer just like not talking at all, <laughs> which is, but, um, which is why I think I gravitated towards picture books at first. My, my first love is picture books. And to me, that's a great way of telling stories where um, it's not so dependent on the words. It's a very visual medium. And so when I was invited to pitch a story for DC Comics, it felt like a natural progression um, in that comics felt very much to me like a long form picture book. And so I could still do the visual storytelling as a writer and work with these amazing illustrators and colorists and artists to kind of bring that story to life. And it's been a, a really fun adventure. Amazing. You know, I've heard a lot of artists from different backgrounds give their reason as to why they got into the work that they have. And all the stories seem similar. It, start, it stems from your childhood. It stems from your background. It stems from your, your, your roots and your history. So that's a beautiful, a beautiful thing to hear. Um, Siobhan, I'll pass the mic to you. I know you have a few questions that you want to get, get through. So I'm, I'm going to throw the mic to you. I mean, I do have a question. Being the child of immigrants myself, I had trouble finding stories that were diverse about different types of people. And I loved to ask questions of my folks and hear the stories of, you know, where are we all from um, and all of that. So this is amazing to hear that that inspired you all. Uh, Min and Jean, can you talk about why you think representation within comics is important? Um, and if it's also more important broadly in literature, uh, then please feel free to talk about that also. Uh, but I know that for me, comics and any type of illustrated novel, um, all of that was very influential for me growing up. So whichever speaks to you the most. Why don't you take the ones, this one first? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I get for punching this. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And I think for me, and I'll focus on comics since that's what um, the, the framework of our conversation is. Um, I always thought of comics as kind of like our modern mythology, right? So we have, it's now it's so pervasive in pop culture that we all kind of have this shared language of comics and superheroes. And it's important to have representation for that because the superhero genre is based around a framework of like justice and right and wrong and like heroes and villains, right? And that can get to be very complicated. And when the historically, the heroes were all of one race or one gender or one specific type, um, then that kind of 
creates a template for who fits into the mold of a hero, right? So the more that we're able to diversify who fits into that mold, even though we personally know that heroes can come in any, in any form, when you see it visually and you see it like in print or on the, in the movie theater, I think that on a broad social perspective expands our collective imagination of who can be a hero. And I think Gene and I both um, have talked about how growing up, like Asian representation in books was always like we we're sidekicks or stereotypes, right? And it's like when that's all you see, you kind of like have that reinforced and it kind of impacts how you, whether you like it or not, how you view yourself, how you view your, the possible paths that you have in front of you. So I think when you start presenting more diverse characters in that hero role, you're, it does have an impact on just like the way you navigate the world. At least that's the, the hope. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Uh, superheroes, um, superhero universes are our modern mythology. And, and I would even say that they're specifically American mythology. You know, I, I think there's something deeply American about the superhero genre. So it was invented in this country. It uh, kind of came of age as America was emerging onto the world stage after World War II. Uh, and I do think that superheroes at their best really express something fundamental about at least American ideals. Maybe not the way America actually is, but at least American ideals, you know? Um, so I, I do think that, that some of the push for, for diversity right now within American superheroes, it's kind of like we want to see the visual that anybody can be an American. You know, when I was a kid going to my local comic book store, pretty much all the superheroes looked alike. You know, they might have had different costumes, but if you took the costumes off, everybody looked alike. Uh, and um, I, I think the only, the only Asian superhero that I can remember was uh, Shang-Chi, who was not an awesome character at all. He was like this ripoff of, of Bruce Lee. And I felt really embarrassed, actually, by him. You know, like, I, I just felt like picking up a, a Shang-Chi comic would kind of like being, it, it would be a way of highlighting what made me different. And, and, um, and I just try to avoid that as much as possible. But now when you walk into uh, your local comic book store, it's not perfect by any means, but like compared to what I grew up in the, with in the 80s, it's like 100 times better. If I could do a quick follow-up on that, is that okay, Hiba? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Something stood out for me in Jean's response about when comic books started to take the world stage in the U.S. and started to emerge, I should say. Um, you talked about World War II, and I remember looking at certain types of comics and illustrated novels and thinking like, wait, this seems to be more subversive, you know, than like a Betty or Veronica is. Um, so I used to wonder about that. So is like Captain America you know, it's supposed to represent something in terms of morality and justice and who he's for and what he's not for. And I wonder if either one of you would like to say anything about that, um, about that connection to World War II and to morality and to different ways that um, if there are other groups that have used comics before now to try to, to speak to some of the oppression or to some of what we hope to see America become at its best. 
No, 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 Gene, you go. No question. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm up first this time. Exactly. You're, well, you're, you're, actually, the, you're the teacher, so. <laughs> I, like, like, I, I'm going to talk about my book for a little bit. Yes. So, so Superman Smashes the Klan um, is set in 1946. It's set right after the end of World War II, and it's actually an adaptation of this really old Superman story from the Superman radio show. So back in 1946, on the radio show, like it, I think it began in, in July of 1946, the 16-episode storyline, uh, Superman actually took on the Klan. He took on this group of hooded racists, and he, he defended a Chinese-American family against this group of hooded racists like the Klan. It, and, you know, when I first heard about this, I was already an adult, and it kind of blew my mind. You know, I've been reading superhero comics since I was in the fifth grade. I just don't remember seeing that many Asian-Americans in those stories. So to find out that there was this Chinese-American family in the middle of a Superman story that dated back to almost the beginning of Superman was mind-blowing to me. But, you know, as a comic book fan, as I've read more and more about comic book history, I realized that there's always been this tension in comics. And it's kind of a tension that sits in the middle of America, right? So comics, most of the greats that we think of now, you know, the, 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 like the, the people who created Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, the Hulk, they're all the children of immigrants. And specifically, they're the children of Jewish immigrants from Europe. Almost all of them grew up poor. Um, they grew up at a time when businesses would put up signs in front saying, help wanted, no Jews need apply, right? That's, that's the environment they grew up in. So superheroes, I think, are rooted in that, are rooted in like this, this, uh, this outsider's experience. But then as comics went on, there was this other thing where superheroes started to, to have to kind of talk, of, like the superheroes became like represent, uh, representative of the mainstream culture, you know? So there's always this tension between mainstreamness and outsiderness throughout the entire history of superheroes. And I think it's embodied in, in the, uh, in the, uh, like the, like the idea of a secret identity. That's how, that's how Jews in the 1930s and 40s lived, you know? And, and, and that's, that's the tension. The tension is between the public mainstream persona and this outsider that has to remain secret. Yeah, and um, I'm not sure if you remember a couple, this isn't superhero comics, but comics in general. Um, a couple years ago, Representative John Lewis wrote a graphic novel series called March, which is this amazing, sweeping, epic trilogy. Um, and he talks about how when he was a kid, he was inspired by a graphic novel about Martin Luther King Jr. And that he read that when he was younger. I'm not sure if he was a kid or if he was just a young man, but he read this comic and that inspired him. And then that's what wanted him to get more involved with civil rights. And then later when he's a representative, what made him want to write a comic or grab a novel because it is a uniquely accessible form of storytelling, I think, especially for a broad range of audiences. And it really, I love reading stuff like um, March or Dragon Hoops where it's like you're taking a real life story and you're bringing it to life in such a dynamic visual way. I think for young readers in particular, it kind of lets them step into um, the excitement of history in a different way that um, sometimes can be challenging depending on, on your, how, how much you think into nonfiction. But I think there's so much power there to convey story and to bring stories to life. And then as far as superhero comics go, I feel like when I'm talking to people about, since we're writing comics specifically for young kids, when I was writing this Green Lantern Legacy story, this origin story of this 13-year-old boy, um, I was like, you take away the green ring, and it's just like any other coming-of-age story, right? It's like 
And when you talk to kids and what they're going through right now, it's like every kid you meet is living their own origin story. And who knows where it's going to lead. It may, it may or may not involve the ability to fly, but it's still the same dynamics, the same emotions, the same kind of how do you navigate the world? Um, how do you identify right and wrong? What are the challenges that you see outside your window on the news every day? And like these days in particular, it's so, um, it's so in your face and there's so much to grapple with. And I think what I like about the superhero genre is it kind of allows kids to grapple with that sense of justice and place themselves within that framework. And like, okay, so now how do you, as someone who believes in, um, in right and wrong and, and, and heroes and villains, how do you use that when you're looking out onto current events, right? And where do you, where do you, place things in that in that framework so i think that's i think a lot of people dismiss superhero stories as as frivolous or silly but i think it has a really um powerful role to play or they can play a powerful role for for people who are trying to make sense of this this wild world that we're in right now i'm thinking about something that i've been carrying around um everywhere i live which all right don't laugh it's really old um it's this Malcolm X book that one of my family friends gave us when we were young. Um, but the way it's illustrated, um, it's a picture book. And what was going on was so helpful with the illustrations. I got so attached to this book that I never gave it up. And I just, I'm trying to figure out who to give it to, but I deeply connect with what you're saying about how, you know, every kid is living their own legacy story. Um, that's what I wrote down when you said that. I think that's a powerful way to look at it. And I loved all the the deep dive we just did on the tension between living in the mainstream uh, versus like that public, the public versus private life, um, trying to maintain your sense of self versus your sense of safety and talking about that in terms of 1940s life for Jewish people, because I'm not sure if we've done an episode on it in particular, but racism and it's tied to anti-Semitism is important. So it was interesting that you talked about that, Gene. Uh, you mentioned the way that many superheroes, um, Gene, did you say many superheroes come from or are created by the children of immigrants from Europe? The creators, yep. The creators of almost all of the most famous superheroes are the children of immigrants. Yeah, that's one of the one of the main things that stuck out to me too, Jean, when you were speaking. One of the parts that stuck out to me essentially was every young child has has a superhero that they look up to that they, they essentially want to become. And I know that in the past, men, the Green Lantern, the character was a white New Yorker and the character was reimagined as a Lebanese American Muslim, a Latinx woman, but it has never been created to represent the Asian American community. So I would love to hear more as to how you came into writing this piece and also just give us like you know back of the house your thoughts because this is important right like this is important um, in terms of representation and in terms of folks like little kids that are out there listening to us now like this is probably an essential piece for them for for them to be molded into future writers um, and them feeling that they are represented within the literature world and even the comic world yeah, no, I'd be happy to talk about that um it's it's interesting because like Green Lantern isn't a character that I grew up like deep into the backstory. But I was familiar with the character. And when I was thinking about uh, a story to write for DC Comics, um, there was something about the, the character of Green Lantern, which is someone who has 
a strong willpower and they have a green ring that's, that's drawn to that willpower. And I had this splash in my head of um, my grandmother, who is one of the strongest people I know, and she, has a, she always wore a jade ring. So I had that thought of like, what if it turned out that your grandmother had been a Green Lantern your whole life and you didn't realize it? Um, and for me, it was very much, I talked about before, like how there are heroes all around us. And like, to me, she was definitely one of the heroes of our family story in our community. And so it felt very natural to be like, to write her, a character inspired by her as a literal superhero. Um, and what I love about the Green Lantern universe is that, like you said, there are so many different Green Lanterns out there. So I felt like I could create a character or characters who would add to and enrich that already existing universe. Um, and I liked that challenge of, there's both a, a challenge to kind of try to remain as consistent as possible with the world as it was, um, but it was also, it was less of a challenge than like completely recreating a beloved character. <laughs> um, so it was, for me, it was a, a perfect blend of coming up with something new and something fresh, but still honoring the, the legacy of a, of a character. Um, and I loved, for, <laughs> I, I loved being able to like, as a, imagine a kid seeing a superhero that looks like them that exists in a world of characters that they know, like the Justice League. Like they're, these characters now exist in a world with Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and Flash. And like, and that to me is like, I remember um, there's a Vietnamese monk named Thich Nhat Hanh, who my family followed from a very young age and he was involved in um, speaking up against the Vietnam War. And I remember learning that he was friends with and nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And all of a sudden like, it took something very personal and like locked it into this broader picture of American history and current events and, and civil rights. And for me, as like you were talking about, when you feel like an outsider, all of a sudden something that like locks you into and places you in the, the bigger puzzle of the world around you, and there's a power to that. Like, like not only do I belong, there's a place where I can fit in and complete the picture, that the picture would not be complete without, without us. I think that's something that um, has been really powerful to be on the writing side of it and try to, try to, to put that out into the world. Sheesh, the picture will not be able to be complete without us. Can we sit with that for a second? That's amazing. I have to agree. You made me think of these bangles that in certain West Indian uh, culture, folks wear these bangles. Sometimes it can be gold. Uh, it could be gold and silver. And you can see people of any gender wearing them. And um, I love that because like right now, my co-host Hiba is putting her wrists up in the camera, <laughs> showing us her bangles uh, that are from Sudan. And basically, you're making me remember how I used to see people in Brooklyn with those bangles on. And I would kind of know and I could just say to them on the subway, for example, like, what island? And they'd say Jamaica, Trinidad or whatever. And when I met Hiba at some point, she would always travel home to Sudan. And I would say when she comes back, oh, there's another bangle stacked up on your wrist there. And I said, where are you getting these bangles? It reminded me that, you know, we used to wear these in my family. And she's like, yeah, they're from my home country. And it just brought, brought it all back to me, this idea. You know, I love what you said about the jade ring, your grandma's jade ring. Because I used to think that similar to the ring, like maybe those bangles were some Caribbean superpower for Caribbean immigrants <laughs> so that we know who each other is and we can fight the power together or something. You could write that story. There you go. 
Yeah, I guess I could. I guess we gave it away on the podcast, but I could try. Book is forthcoming by Siobhan Drew. It ties a lot. It ties a lot to what you were saying, though, man, about history, right? Like all these ties are related to our roots, as I was mentioning before. And I know, Jean, your new graphic novel, The Shadow Hero, is based on a character named the Green Turtle. And this novel was a cause for celebration. And it was 27 artists that did their own renderings of the Green Turtle to celebrate. So I want to hear more about your specific story, because I know there are 27 artists in total who have written their own stories. And I know they all relate to historical pieces. So I want to hear more about your... I want to get inside your brain when you were coming down to sit at your desk to think about what are you going to display in this book and how is it going to resonate with everyone that'll be reading it, right? It, it doesn't It doesn't only depict representation of first Asian American hero, but it it resonates with a few other things as well. So I would love to hear more about your writing experience when coming to write this specific novel. Sure. The the Shadow Hero is a book that I did with uh, a friend of mine named Sonny Liu. So I did the writing and he did the art. He's amazing. He he also writes and draws his own graphic novels. He did this one called uh, Charlie Chan Hawk Chai that won like a billion different awards. Um, but I was lucky. I was lucky that he said yes to collaborating on this. That was actually the very first superhero comic that I did. It was for a, a, a publisher called uh, First Second Books. And it was about this old character from the 1940s that some people believe is the first Asian American character. I do think that working on that book prepared me for a, a lot of the work that I'm doing for DC Comics now. And it's it's sort of like what we've been talking about up until this point. Superheroes, I've, I've been a superhero fan for almost all of my life. You know, I uh, love superheroes before I thought about why I love superheroes. And, and I think it really is connected to that idea of American mythology. Something that Asian Americans struggle with is this, uh, this feeling of perpetual foreignness, this perception of perpetual foreignness, even if we were born here, even if our families have been here forever, simply because of the way we look, we're, we're seen as, as foreign. And, so, and often foreign threats. Like if you look at the history of um, Asian America, we're almost always seen as foreign threats. Um, so to find out that there were these characters like the green turtle or like the uh, Chinese American family in the superhero, the, the Superman story that date back to the beginning of this deeply American genre of the superhero genre, it was just really affirming to me as an Asian American, you know, and that's why I wanted to do these projects. I wanted to kind of explore how we're actually not foreigners. We're, we're part of the fabric of, of this society, even if people don't see us like that, you know. Um, and, and I do think as we, we see the, um, the, the, the types of the, the kind of the creators, the, as we see the creators of the pool of creators of American superhero comics grow more diverse, we are seeing better and better stories being told, uh, uh, more diverse stories being told. You, Siobhan mentioned uh, um, Captain America earlier. I do want to call out a book. There is a book that does not get as much attention as I think it deserves, called Captain America, Red, White, and Black. And you know how, like, Captain America became Captain America because they put, like, super soldier serum in them? So this was an, it was an all-African-American creative team did a story about the African-American soldiers that were experimented on to get to that uh, super soldier serum. And oh, one wow. of them becomes the first Captain America before Steve Rogers. Great book, deserves more attention. Well, thank you for highlighting that because I, I, did, I had no idea. I didn't know that either, but yesterday my partner, um, I walked by and heard this broadcast playing, um, I think it was NPR, 
it was about just that black soldiers who were experimented on. I think it was Vietnam. And I think they mentioned mustard gas. They talked about how people are still suffering from the effects of it and how some of them used to actually show their wounds to people because they would feel gaslit because it would affect their skin long term. But people didn't believe that they ever were tested on at all, um, that they were locked in gas chambers and had this stuff tested on them because the government never admitted to it early on. Um, so these elders would be saying, like, this is what happened to me and no one would believe them. So what you're saying is is really important. Um, I'm trying to see what the what the producer needs in the chat. We're running out of time and I'm sad. <laughs> I know you keep going for it. I feel like we can banter about this like all day long. So this is from me to y'all. Like I personally really do thank y'all for showing up, doing the work um, and writing these magnificent pieces. Now I have things to add to my collection to read. Um, and now we have resources to share with staff because I kid you not, our staff are like comic fans um, galore. Um, so I'm, I know I know they're going to be geek to read up on your work. Um Siobhan, do you have any final thoughts for Dean and Min? I feel like this was half a history lesson, which I love. And I guess I know we don't have time to go deep into it, but I would love to invite the audience to think about the history that was discussed and to even dig a little deeper. Think about outsiderness uh, in America. Think about how so many of us of different races have experienced that from white supremacy that feeling of feeling like an outsider. Uh, think about Asian American and Black American solidarity. Um, look up those movements because all of this kinds of stuff, um, like our guest just said, your story could be a comic book or a graphic novel based in some of that history. So um, I think that some of those historical stories could be that, but the best place to start, we've discovered in this interview, <laughs> is to take a look back and see what came before you. What was the history in your own family? And I think the history of race and all of this in the country can inspire so many stories. So thank you so much for bringing out all the richness that this conversation could hold based on your works of art, both of you, Jean and Min. You guys want the audience to contact you or connect with you on social media if you all have. This is your time to share it now. Jean, if you want to share your social handles and then you can go right after so folks can stay connected about everything that's happening with DC Comics and all the work that you guys are putting in. Sure. I'm, I'm on uh, the internet at my name. So it's uh, Jean Lin Yang, all one word. At uh, I have a website at jeanlinyang.com. And then I'm at that handle on Instagram and on uh, Twitter. And um, I have a website, minlaybooks.com. And um, I'm on Twitter probably way too much <laughs> at um, Bottom Shelf Books. And that's um, BKS for books. Um, there's another Minlay who invented a very, or designed a very popular video game. That's not me. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having us. This is a great conversation. Like I said, I feel like we could have gone on for another two hours. Siobhan. We are gearing up to the end of the season, girl. We want to be more interactive with y'all. So please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Shout us out on Twitter. Yes. So please do check us out across our social media. We're at Race Forward on all of our pages. You can share the podcast and tag us in when you share it with your friends. To our listeners, we hope that you stay safe. We hope that you stay encouraged. Peace, y'all.